is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 426, recorded Thursday, March 21st, 2019. Well, there you go. Welcome to the program, everyone. Jason, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I don't think I got sick, although I don't think I'm 100% either. So, uh, I'm just sitting on that. I'm floating in that like 90% range where I feel like if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to end up sick. But if I do, I could probably head it off and, and, and get better and get back to a hundred. Right. It's like a tank of gas, right? you fill up, you know, when you fill up your car and it's the needles buried all the way into the full zone, you're, you feel like you can drive anywhere, but then, uh, it stays there for a long time, for a very long time, it seems like, but then it gets to the full mark. And then before you know it, you're pretty much at a quarter tank. So it's that first little bit that it's okay, but then the rest, like you can stay at 90% and feel pretty good, but, uh, you're going to drop to zero pretty damn quick if you get sick. Yeah. You know, I've always wondered why that works like that with gas tanks in cars where it, it feels like the first half of the tank lasts you forever. And then the second half of the tank is gone in 10 minutes. Well, I figure the first half of the tank, the top half of the tank is bigger than the bottom half. That's what I think. <laughs> it must be because and that the, gas- and the little bobber inside doesn't account for that bullshit. Yeah. That gas lasts way longer. So I don't know what the deal is, but yeah. anyhow, um, that's, that's how I'm doing. Uh, and you're doing okay. And we are here to talk about our listener feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which was called Scars. And it was episode 14, right? Of season nine. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Uh, the ratings for Scars, Jason, has pretty much held true to what they've been lately. Down a little bit from last week's uh, choke point to 4.57 million. Okay. Okay. You know, that's that's right around where it's been, you know, all season long, certainly in the back half of the season. Last week was 4.83. Here we are at 4.57. So, you know, not a lot is changing these days with the ratings. We don't have these huge spikes or huge valleys that we, we've had in the past. Oh, good. Okay. Well, how about we jump straight into our listener feedback, Jason? Sure thing, Christopher. Listener feedback. Our first item is an email from Tom on the internet. And Tom writes, Did you notice Michonne at the beginning of, episode, of the episode kill two walkers that were stuck in the mud? We know at least one of these two was a whisperer. If you look carefully, when Michonne kills the second walker, she slices him in the face, causing his walker mask to fall off, and the camera focuses on it laying in the mud. No, that was, that was part of a face. I don't think that was a whisperer. Yeah, it was. I, I thought maybe Tom was onto something here because I must admit, I do think that was a very, that would have been a very clever kind of little Easter egg in the show. But I went back and checked and I really, really don't think that's, that's a whisperer. That is just Michonne carving part of the face off of an actual zombie. Yeah. And we know that everybody's heads are rubberized by this point in the zombie apocalypse. So it's just a kind of a sloppy face thing. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, it looked like a face on the ground, not a mask. 
Now, that being said, I do think it would have been a cool idea to just drop that in there and tell us that, oh my gosh, the Whispers have been around since all that time ago, you know, six years ago. But in this case, I'm afraid, Tom, I don't think that was it. It was just a face. Yeah, I agree. You know, how many times do you have we seen faces just fall off and hit the ground? A few now. So I feel like I feel like I know what it looks like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sad, but true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Charlotte on the Internet. I am a mom of one. He's a baby, so being pregnant isn't a distant memory. I shrieked as Michonne begged the kids not to attack. I shrieked as she woke up bound to the pipe. I shrieked as they were uh, as they were branded. I shrieked as they slashed slashed across her belly, physically feeling the pain. I shrieked as, as she sliced through the kids on her way to rescue Judith. Basically, I spent the whole episode screaming, much to my husband's obvious joy. <laughs> to me, this episode sums up the power of the show, the ability to physically affect the audience without actually showing the graphic violence in full force, which has become gratuitous on other shows. I was in the camp that the show went too far when, with the depiction of Glenn and Abraham's, Abraham's demise. Uh, this illustrates that the show can have an impact without plastering us with gore. I physically felt the pain and grief, and that has not happened in any other show. It's phenomenal. Give her the Emmy. Give Denai Guerrera the Emmy. And Charlotte is absolutely right here. We kind of talked about it on the recap show earlier this week, but I thought it was such a clever and just really well done way to portray the horror of what was happening with Michonne killing children without actually having to show it. Yeah. And as Charlotte says, you, you could feel the weight of it all. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't watered down in any way, even though we didn't actually see a sword removing the heads of any kids. Yeah. And that's a good thing. In my book. I, I fully agree. It is definitely a good thing. I mean, they absolutely had to find a way to 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 do this, to depict this on screen, because if they had just shown Michonne chopping down children, I think that could have been as brutal as Negan destroying oh, yeah. uh, Abe and Glenn. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they needed to find a way and they did. And it worked out really well. So uh, also, Charlotte, glad to hear that your husband had a lot of obvious joy at your screaming the entire episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause why not? All right. Donnie in Suffolk, Virginia writes, while I liked this week's episode, I do have to pour some hater aid into my critique. The flashback of Michonne and Daryl looking for Rick was okay, but the introduction of the wandering group that consisted of Michonne's long lost friend and her band of kids was a little too much. I mean, come on. One minute they're playing campfire games, and the next minute they're kidnapping the kids of Alexandria and branding Daryl and Michonne like cattle. The show is only a total of 35 minutes, excluding commercials, and that's just not enough time to give a good storyline to explain why they were doing this in the first place. While the reason was typical, it was a poor excuse to provide a backstory for something introduced in an earlier episode. What do you think about that, Jason? Did we get enough time with this story or w would you have liked it to have played out longer, maybe an extended episode or even over multiple episodes? Probably over multiple episodes. Uh, we did kind of, you know, it was kind of a, a hard context switch between campfire games and uh, branding people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, kids will be kids, even though uh, kids go through trauma. Uh they can bounce back pretty quick. 
that's the thing about children. They, they can bounce back very quick. The, the difficulty here is um, that these kids got to Alexandria with this plan in mind, right? Led by Jocelyn. And they managed to live in Alexandria completely innocently and sort of faking their way through it for an extended period of time, which I think is actually what would be the most difficult thing for these kids to hold up the facade for so long. Yeah. You know, not the fact that um, they could recover from traumatic events or whatever, but just to go in there and play all nice until one day when they're not. Well, maybe they didn't know they were supposed to play all nice to accomplish something. Maybe they're just like, well, okay, well, we'll go here for a little while. And, and then, uh, Jocelyn said, okay, time to do some shit and, you know, carry this can and this needle and, uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> I suppose that could be it. Yeah. They, maybe Jocelyn told them they were there genuinely to stay and have somewhere to live until she changed her plan. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but as for... As for doing this over multiple episodes, I'm not sure I would have liked that. That feels like it probably would have been difficult to kind of keep the thread going, if you know what I mean. Like, keep it interesting and keep it sort of clear to the us, the audience, as to what was going on if it was stretched over multiple episodes. But I must admit, this is one of the times where maybe an extended episode wouldn't have been such a bad idea. Uh, make it you know, an hour and 15, even a 90 minute or something like that. And uh, just give us a little bit more of this story and a, you know, tiny bit more time to develop. So uh, I I often think that the extended episodes are not worth doing and a little gratuitous, but in this case it might've worked. Well, if they, if they stretched out, stretched it, stretched it out over multiple episodes, then they could have injected another storyline, right? They didn't have to stick with this the whole time. We could have gotten something else, uh, to, you know, jump back and forth between this storyline and something else that's going on, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little, well, I guess it depends on what they're going to do with the last two episodes, but, uh, you know, they could have done that, right? This just, this thing played out so that we got used to these people, uh, more before they, uh, betrayed Michonne. Yeah. And we'd feel it a little more, uh, uh, you know, intimately. Yeah. And, and I think it could have worked. I just don't think that's as easy as it might sound to do because it's, I think it's really easy for viewers to kind of lose the plot thread when you, when you have multiple time frames and new characters and these kind of events that don't really have any bearing on the other bigger storyline that's, you know, already going on. So not impossible, tricky. Um, but you, you never know. They decided not to go for that anyways. <laughs> yeah. So true. what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. All right. Next we have an email from Gemma in South Wales. Jocelyn and her feral children is a really sad storyline. I've read all the Rocking Dead novels by Jay Bon and Singa. Sorry for the small spoiler for the books. The main char- character, uh, Lily Call, uh, haunted by what she, by what she did to Lori and Judith in the prison, takes over Woodbury and recruits and cares uh, of mostly children, especially a teenage boy named Tommy. I thought this is where the show was going, with Jocelyn saving the kids, teaching them to survive, uh, but it took a much darker turn, and Michonne was left with no choice in her actions uh, in order to protect her pregnancy, Judith, and the other kids. It must be a heartbreaking thing for Michonne to come to terms with this as a mother and at heart loves children especially as she has 
buried two previously. Carol had to execute Lizzie in order to save Judith also. They're both mothers having to make this decision. Not an easy episode for me as I'm a mother of four and one of my biggest fears is how I would protect them in the zombie apocalypse. Jocelyn is another example of a mother gone nuts, like Alpha, who was willing to let her children suffocate in plastic in a plastic bag before helping her. I think one of the themes this year is mothers and what they would do for their kids. And I think that is a very good point, Gemma. It, it has come up a few times now. We've got Alpha and her relationship with Lydia. We've got Michonne and her actions as as a mother. Um, and, you know, obviously going back, we have Carol and so on. Carol's relationship yeah. with Henry in this season is mm-hmm. rather important. So I think this is something the show is focusing on right now. And I, I like it. So. Yeah, I agree. I hadn't really considered that, but uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, that just seems like it's a motherhood theme. It is. It's great. Uh, I also, Gemma, think that uh, it's amazing <laughs> that, you know, one of your biggest fears is how would you protect your four children in the zombie apocalypse? Yeah, uh, I would I would relax a little bit on that. <laughs> it doesn't maybe need to be your biggest fear, but, you yeah. know, don't completely let it go because, you know. If the zombie apocalypse happens, you are going to be, you know, head and shoulders above most people if you've thought about it at all. Yeah. Think of, uh, think of watching this show as research. Right. Right. And I'm not going to lie. It has occurred to me too. Like if the zombie apocalypse broke out, what would I do? I've got kids. Uh, they're a little bit older. I mean, 12 and 10. So it's not like I have to carry them around or push them around in a stroller or anything like that. But they're no, kids. You just have to find them knives and guns. Right. And they'd be all set to go. Well, yeah, they're also kind of wimpy at times. So I don't know how, uh, I don't know how that would go, but I have been, you know, standing around in the shower thinking about what I would do in the zombie apocalypse. And sometimes I wonder that, you know, I don't know, keeping kids alive. You have to find them a nice Saturday night special. Yeah. You know what that is? Saturday. Uh, it's a gun, right? Yeah. It's a little tiny one. Okay. One you can hide in, uh, you know, crevices. <laughs> or maybe your purse. <laughs> yeah, you you know it, it'll fit in a clutch, for uh-huh. example, or you know something that uh, you would just you know have on you at all times. It just fits in your pocket, and it's not really cumbersome, and you can hold it up. It's only got two shots, but uh, uh, yeah, that'd be perfect for a twelve-year-old. Sure, if you say so. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> thank you, Gemma, for writing that in. Elizabeth in Newcastle, UK, writes. Michonne begs the children not to fight her, but they do, forcing her to defend herself. I wonder what she'd have done if she was fighting only for her own life and not for the lives of Judith and the other children and her unborn child. I think that's how the producers of the show made it possible for us to accept her actions here. She has no choice if she's to save the others. Seeing Michonne being beaten and tortured while heavily pregnant was a level of brutality rare even on this show, and I about freaked out when her belly was cut. While, as always, she's a fierce warrior, the pregnancy gave her a vulnerable side we're just not used to seeing. True. Yeah, I think that sums it up really nicely. Um, The pregnancy, you know, pregnancy is not usually considered a weakness. You know what I mean? In in yep. real life, like it is a, it is a beautiful thing. And, you know, thankfully it happens all the time because we as a species have continued to exist on this planet. Cause it's fun. And it's fun. Right. Yeah. 
but also, I mean, it's fun at the beginning. I'm sure there yeah, are yeah, times. Yeah, 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 babies. It's fun. Right. I'm sure there are yeah, times. We like that. As a race, we like that. We do. We do. It's fun on purpose so that we continue to, uh, you know, uh, reproduce. Yeah. I'm sure at times during the pregnancy, it's not fun always for the for the pregnant woman. Yeah, or the guys either. I mean, I had to go out in the middle of the night to buy pickles and ice cream and that kind of stuff. So it's not always fun, but it's usually fun. Yeah, us. but but what did you get for your wife when you went out? Oh, I don't know. It was running out doing errands, that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right. Get it. Um, anyways, um, where was I From going? My feet, that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. My feet hurt. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was super hard for you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. Uh, where the hell was I going? Um, I don't know. Yo, yeah, it's, I was saying that being pregnant is not usually considered a weakness, but in this case, it certainly amped up the tension and it was kind of a vulnerability because you could tell Michonne wasn't quite as mobile as she usually is. Um, she couldn't run quite as fast, I noticed. And it was also just extremely brutal to see a pregnant woman get beaten down with a stick. Like nobody wants to see that even on, no, even in a it, fictional it, TV show. Really, really brutal. Yeah. So, um, anyways, that's it. I don't know that we're going to see any more of that, but, uh, this show has now had a few pregnancies that have involved some violence. So yeah, there you go. That's true. All right. Next we have an email from Nate in Wichita, Kansas. Those children of the corn kids genuinely creep me out. Do you guys think that group of children who'd have grown up in the zombie apocalypse would be at an advantage or a disadvantage? The episode reinforced Jocelyn's comments that they can do things that adults have reservations about, and they certainly can disguise themselves in their childlike innocence. However, I can't picture them taking on a herd of walkers. I mean, could they even reach the walkers' heads? I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, probably not. You know, tall walkers, short child. Not a lot you yep. can do if you can't reach up there. Although, you know, if you're proficient with a stick like Henry is, you can reach up higher. We know that... In, you generally have to, uh, you know, destroy the brain or at least poke it with a stick mm -hmm. for, to kill a zombie. But uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with uh, stabbing a zombie in the genitals. I think that would just do just as much harm. Uh, no, well, it's not going to stop the zombie. That's the problem. I mean, if I stab I you know, in the genitals. that's your second brain. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for men. Uh, but I mean, it would stop you if I stabbed you in the genitals, but I don't think it would stop yeah. a zombie. So. And it has in the past. It has? Well, yeah. Gotten, you know, poked in the genitals by one stick or, you know, a foot or something. Right. It usually takes you down. It's taken me down. Absolutely. And it takes a while to get back up. And I can tell you, my brain stopped working. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know. You know, if kids would, growing up in the zombie apocalypse, does that put you at an advantage to survive the zombie apocalypse? Yes, probably. Because that's the only world you've known and someone has taught you how to survive in it as best yeah, I can. Yeah, and that's actually proven true in our world uh, with video games. Uh, I don't even remember where I read it or heard it or watched it uh, on various media, but, uh, you know, nowadays uh, fighter pilots are, that are being trained and that are operating millions of dollars worth of, uh, you know, high-tech machinery uh, all grew up on video games. And the amount of information that these people can process at a given time is in it far exceeds what humans were, what fighter pilots were able to, uh, to do naturally back in the seventies and eighties 
for example. Hmm. It's just because you're playing so many video games, you get all this information flying at you all the time. And it's just a natural state for uh, people's brains to process that kind of information that quickly. And so now they're becoming fighter pilots and they're just like, yeah, no problem. They got, you know, when you see the screen of a fighter, of a, you know, a fighter jet, mm-hmm. and they have all this information that's just kind of jumping around the screen. It's like, that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. I mean, to, to the kids growing up, growing up with video games, that's not a problem. Interesting. That's so a, that's yeah, really it's cool. absolutely, uh, totally what's normal when you grow up becomes an advantage when you get older. So I think that absolutely kids growing up in the zombie apocalypse, it's just normal. It's not like, uh, we have to get over the hump of, geez, I'm about to stab this guy in the face, uh, because he's threatening me. Uh, it's totally, yeah, just stab the guy in the face. What the fuck's the matter with you? Yeah, it's just what you do. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, Nate, for that. Anna in Wales is next, and Anna writes, I'm glad we didn't have to wait too long to find out how Daryl and Michonne got the X's on their backs. But it was a bit disappointing. They strongly implied earlier in the season that it had something to do with Maggie, and now we know that was a total fake-out. I'm glad Judith got Michonne back on the right track, and hopefully all the groups will get back to working together again now. That's true. They did imply that it had to do with, well, did they really? Or did we just assume? There's an imply, there's an assumed, assumed. Was there middle ground there, maybe? Well, maybe there's some middle ground. You know, on the last episode of this podcast, you presented the theory that um, Michonne is completely validated in her cutting Alexandria off from the other communities based on the events of this episode. Yeah. But, but, but it doesn't really have to do, or it doesn't really create a direct conflict between her and Maggie, which is kind of what the show was getting at, I think. So... You know, maybe the conflict between the two of them was more on Maggie's side when Michonne was like, you know what, we just got to deal with Alexandria. Maybe Maggie got pissed off and that's where the tension came from rather than Michonne, you know, specifically doing something. So I think you hit the nail on the head, but I still don't know if it really if it really explains why the two of those characters had such a, you know, problem with each other. Yeah, well, I think we got kind of uh, stuck in the post hoc ergo propter hoc, and we, I haven't said that in a long time. No, good for you for bringing it back. After it, therefore, because of it. I think that at the beginning of the season, we got a whole lot of information, right? We, well, not the beginning of the season, but, you know, when the, when they did the time jump, we got a whole lot of information. Mm-hmm. We got grown-up Judas, we got, uh, uh, you know, d- different uh, relationship between the communities, and we've got these mysterious exes on two people's backs, mm-hmm. right? So we got, we thought, okay, those all have to do with each other. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure right now. I am not sure whether it's our fault that we assumed that these were related or whether the show was intentionally trying to imply this, this information, which then we have to call bullshit on. Right. So I'm just, I'm not sure I think is, is my position. Yeah. And, and I'm not really sure either. It's, it's easy to read things in to stuff, you know, that's, that's what people do. (laughs) So, and that's why we have Latin phrases to try and teach us to, uh, you know, not necessarily do that. If you can, if you can manage it. Right. To try not to do that, but, Sometimes you can't help it. Yeah. All right. Next we have, uh, 
what the hell is this? It's uh, Mr. Natman on YouTube. Is it an email? Well, you know what? It's not from YouTube, but that's how Mr. Natman signed his email. So okay. I'm going with it. Like I've always done, Jason. I will generally read or include what you list as where you're from. Yeah. Well, sometimes you say like you write, you know, blah, blah, blah from uh, our Facebook page. And right. I and I do that because someone commented on our Facebook page and and I don't yeah. want to go snooping around people's accounts and figure out where they're from. I'd rather just say on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. That, that's fine. It's just that this makes me think that this is from YouTube and I don't understand how something can come in via YouTube. Well, it, in this case, it doesn't. But Mister Natman okay. put YouTube. All right. So we have an email from uh, Mister Natman uh, from YouTube. <laughs> in case you haven't been paying attention, <laughs> uh, he writes. I didn't think the, that's a mister, right? So it doesn't, all right. He, he, I'm just, I'm assuming he, and I apologize if I get that wrong. I mean, mister, yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, who knows? Uh, Mr. Natman writes, I didn't think the episode could get any more ridiculous when suddenly Daryl disappears and leaves a wildly pregnant Michonne. She was badly beaten by a two by four and then had to defend herself holding a steel pipe in one hand and a swarm of fast little demon children armed with knives. And also one teenager dude that was just chilling there watching. We see Michonne somehow stop a murderous kid running full force by grabbing his wrist, which made me laugh out loud. Uh, then we're expected to believe that this vastly outnumbered pregnant injured woman just Anakin's all of them to death. There is absolutely no way this, uh, they couldn't take her. Sorry. There's absolutely no way they couldn't take her. Sorry. If their objective was to kill her, then they literally could have just all ran up to her and stabbed away. The weird teenager dude would have, uh, wouldn't even need to move. Right. So. But that's a trope in all TV and movies that. All the bad, all the good guys get attacked one at a time by the bad guys. Uh, the bad guys attack one at a time. Yes. And that's yes. basically what happened here. But even so, Mr. Natman is saying that like the one kid runs full force with a knife and she like stops him by grabbing his arm. Kind of. It's, like, only, it's only little. I know he's little. I mean, the, I just the other day I did that thing with my kids where you put your hand on their forehead and outstretch your arm and they can't reach you. Because yeah. their arms aren't long enough. I think that's hilarious. Were they angry or is it just for fun? No, it was all for fun. Like, were they charging at you with a knife? No. no. Your, okay. That doesn't but happen. Context. It's important. Uh, of course, of course. But no, it was yeah. just for fun to uh, show them that I could still do that, which is okay, good. entertaining for me anyways. Um, anyways, uh, the whole the whole scene Mr. Natman is saying was was kind of ridiculous and implausible. I don't totally agree with him because if you could if you could put the one at a time thing aside, like Michonne, despite being pregnant and slightly she vulnerable, she still has good hand eye coordination and is still much more experienced in this than they are, right? She's been yeah. killing people and zombies for a long time. She's very good with that sword and you know, she's she's acting um, full of adrenaline, right? She's, yep. she's not just sort of taking this lying down, you know, she has a goal and a mission and it's amped up her skills a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think that, uh, any normal pregnant, wildly pregnant woman in this situation probably would get overwhelmed pretty quickly in real life. Absolutely. You're no doubt whatsoever. Michonne would be dead. These bunch of little kids would run up and start kicking and stabbing and punching and stuff. And she would get stabbed 47 times and then would bleed out. Mm -hmm. But this unfortunately and fortunately is not reality because if it was reality, it'd be a lot more boring. Uh, and we wouldn't have the high drama that we do get. Uh, <laughs> so we have to put some of the stuff, we have to, we have to have 
put aside our uh, disbelief and uh, just understand that she is highly a highly skilled warrior with lots of experience and she's strong, uh, physically strong, and so can probably... Like she's stronger than I am, so she could probably stop somebody running at her full tilt by grabbing their wrist. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. And then uh, in every fictional universe, people wait their turn. They're very polite when they try to attack somebody. They wait until somebody else gets beaten up, uh, and then they go in to to give it their shot because right, they, they have they have honor and they understand uh, uh, drama. Absolutely, they think I could do it better than that guy, so I'm going to wait until he's done failing, and then I'll succeed. It's right. what uh, it's what the big bosses do anyway. They send out they send all their minions in to tire down the the good guys until uh, they get to the boss fight. Makes sense to me. Yeah, and then the boss decides what his specific weakness will be at that point, <laughs> and and the hero exploits it. Movie over. Yeah, because they have to because they can't defeat it without expo- can't defeat the boss without exploiting their one specific weakness that they have. Exactly. One more thing I want to say just before we move on to the next email here is you kind of read that one funny because there's a sentence that says um uh michonne uh michonne had to defend herself holding a steel pipe in one hand from a swarm of fast little zombie little demon children but what you read was uh then she had to defend herself holding a steel pipe in one hand and a swarm of fast little demon children so it sounds like she had a (laughs) Pipe in one hand oh, and yeah. a swarm of demon children in the other. I, that was going through my mind like, she didn't have any demon children. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the, word, the word from was important in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm having a weird night and I apologize. That's fine. Uh, thank you, Mr. Natman on YouTube. Yeah, I need that. to zoom in on this text. There we go. Maybe. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff. I keep my text huge so I don't have to struggle to read it because my eyes, yeah, you know. I normally, I normally zoom in, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't zoom in this time. Okay. Next up, Jen in California. Jen writes, this week's episode, to me, is one of the best this season. I think Denai Guerrero's performance was just stellar. I thought the interaction between Michonne and Judith felt really authentic, and I was convinced that Michonne was ready to trust her friends again. I didn't love the implication Negan made that he knew Judith better than Michonne. As much as I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Negan feels like a huge loose thread that just needs to be cut already. I don't know how Michonne will exit the show, but I feel like he's her last bit of unfinished business. Oh, she's going to kill him on the way out the door? Maybe. I don't know. Or or maybe he's going to kill her doing something horrible and escaping. No, he's not going to kill her. I don't know. I mean, if she leaves the show, it's... Listen. She's supposed to be on the, the made-for-TV movies, right? Right? Oh, yeah. That's a good point. That, well, so we've heard. We're not sure. I don't think we're 100% sure about that. Yeah, well, I mean, she could be a zombie on those shows. Who knows? I suppose. Like Negan kills her. She wanders off into the, you know, into into the bush, and shows up uh, where Andrew Lincoln is. Yeah, probably not. But I forgot about the fact that she's probably, I think, destined to be in those movies. So he's not going to kill her. But I mean, Jen does make a good point that maybe whatever's going on between Negan and Michonne will somehow come to a head and force her to leave or something like that. You never know. Yeah. Well, well I don't know. And they have it's to, to, it's hard to say. They have to do something with Negan. Um, no, not that I'm saying I'm not enjoying his smaller role right now, because I do think they've used the character pretty well in this season, but at some point, something bigger is going to have to happen. He can't just be this guy that people use as a sounding board in a 
jail cell for the rest of the show. So it's yeah. just not going to happen. That's true. Everybody needs a Yoda though, but the uh, Yoda does die. So sorry, spoiler for <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, come on, man. He comes back though. So spoiler again. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you'd like to spoil about Star Wars before we move on? Uh, no, I'm good. All right, let's move on. All right, next we have an email from Michael in London. Uh, for an episode that was meant to be one of the darkest in the show's history, I found this relatively tame in comparison to what the showrunners thought this would be. Uh, am I desensitized due to today's society? Perhaps, but although Michonne killing, uh, although Michonne's killing of the young children was traumatic, would you rank this higher than Negan's butchering Glenn and Abraham? Negan nearly, uh, nearly forcing Rick to cut off Carl's arm watching Lori go into labor and knowing she has to be butchered to deliver Judith, Lizzie looking at the flowers, or my personal uh, my personal moment that will stay with me forever, Sophia walking out of the barn in Series 2. I like this episode. I thought it was very good and thought Denai Guerrero did a great job, but it was not as dark as I was led to believe. So I included this, even though you and I kind of already touched on this idea in our recap episode earlier this week. Because Michael lists all these other things like, you know, the uh, the butchering of Glenn and Abe, the Negan forcing Rick to cut off Carl's arm almost, and a few other things that all do strike me now as um, moments of brutality on the yep. show. Uh, and, and certainly I wouldn't hold it against anyone for finding any of those things more shocking or more dark than what we got in this episode. Uh, but I feel like that's only because they um, uh, they didn't actually show, you know, what Michonne was doing. And, and again, like I've said, found a really cool, clever way to do it. Um, so I don't know. And also to me, this Michonne stuff felt a little bit more kind of extended within the episode itself rather than just these single moments of of Carl's arm almost getting caught cut off or Lori going into labor and stuff like that. But yeah. that's just me. Well, I think also one of Michael's points here is that uh, it's not as dark as he was led to believe. Mm -hmm. So I guess it, it uh, I guess he's touching on the, the marketing campaign for this episode, which I'm totally not uh, aware of. Mm -hmm. So did they market this as next on the walking dead? One of the darkest episodes we've ever seen kind of thing. I'm not sure to be honest, because I kind of stay away from that marketing as well. I, I don't watch the, you know, the, the next episode previews anymore. I used to, but not as, not so much anymore. So I don't know. I don't know if they are. I do remember when, you know, before Carl was killed off, they were marketing the hell out of that as being, as being the biggest, most shocking moment in the show's history kind of thing. When, when his bite is revealed, um, but in this case, I don't think they did. I don't yeah. think they did. I mean, the episode is called scars. So we all kind of knew that we were going to find out what, where the scars on these characters came from, but I don't know. It could have been mental scars. It could have been anything, well, but it, I mean, there were mental, mental scars in this episode as well. The title applies to multiple things here, but, yeah. uh, no, I don't know if the marketing was a big deal on this one. Um, but probably even if they had even done just one ad where, they said, you know, tune in for the darkest episode in season nine or something. That's enough to get yeah. people ready for it. Do they still do that? Like, first of all, I don't have cable and mm -hmm. I haven't watched uh, an actual television show on TV in years. Uh, 
Second of all, they they've been pulling that marketing bullshit since the eighties or seventies even. And uh, my my you know teenage brain was calling bullshit on that way back then when they say, "Oh, it's the the most hilarious episode ever," or uh, the shocking reveal or whatever they say. It's just my my bullshit meter just pegs to the end of the dial. She's like, "Ting, nope, that's uh, that's garbage." So. I don't like that marketing campaign even at the best of times, but I guess they're still doing it and still trying to suck people in by doing that crap. I guess a very special episode of Blossom next week. Well, that (laughs) I would watch. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess they're still doing it, but it's all online now, right? You get get emails, you... Yeah, well, that's how I, you know, Netflix tells me about stuff. It's like, hey, we got this show you might like. Right. And uh, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I think you might be right. I got to check that out. So thank you, Netflix, for doing that but yeah and it's not like i is tv guide still a thing oh yeah yeah it's still a thing as far as i know but again i don't know i i haven't watched like live live tv in a long time this is uh one of the only things i do so all right there's a whole world out there that i'm now ignoring uh a whole world yeah exactly okay james in blind river writes did daryl seem out of character in this episode I was taken aback when the guard is seen lying prone on the floor as Daryl tells Michonne that he's going to tie the guy up, and then they split up. I must have missed when Daryl incapacitated him. Besides, Daryl would normally be quick to deep-six a foe, as we've seen in previous seasons. For example, Morales. Yeah, why tie him up? Well, that's the thing. I mean, he, he... didn't hesitate to kill Morales. Now, to be fair, Morales had a gun to Rick's face, so... He was yeah, but he was going to kill that other dude just for no reason. It, well, um, yeah, and and also remember that savior kid that they got some information from. Daryl just then totally unprovoked shoots him. Yeah, so, that, that was that other dude I was referring to. Oh, okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry, you might might have missed that. <laughs> well, it was I, so descriptive. <laughs> yeah, the other dude out of nine seasons of the show. <laughs> remember that guy? Yeah, that was great. Well, exactly. So Daryl kills guys without thinking twice about it sometimes so why in this episode did he not kill that dude well because he's got to <laughs> frankly because he gets more money now and he's got to have uh moral complexity as opposed to just being the uh uh the slaughterhouse guy from previous seasons okay i guess uh, the comes down to money i don't know how that applies no but, but he's got a bigger character and he has to be more complex he can't just be murdering everybody <laughs> no, right. We, maybe he's got to have a dilemma in a couple of episodes about killing someone. So we need, we need his character to flip. Well, he certainly had more to do. So that's I true. Guess more to do and the odd dilemma, and he's worth his twenty million. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right, James. He would have totally slaughtered that guy. Mm-hmm. I think so too. He, he would have punched him right through his head. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have an email from Justine in NorCal. I don't think Daryl needed to be part of this episode. There was no reason for him to be there, and I really don't believe a group of kids could disable him with one arrow to the shoulder, unless, of course, we're supposed to believe they were drugged. I I think what Justine is saying is that, um, you know, both of them were were knocked out, or at least Michonne was knocked out, and Daryl was shot with an arrow. And I'm sure that hurts. But is it enough to take Daryl down so much so that, um, you know, he's tied up and incapacitated? Yeah. And then fine. And then immediately fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 
you know, I don't think we're supposed to believe they were drugged, but it was a little bit of convenient storytelling there. You know, they needed these yeah. characters to be momentarily captured and this is how they did it. Yeah. Okay. So now you fall, you fall unconscious for some reason and then you are, uh, escaped for some reason. Right. For some reason. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So yada, yada, yada. The plot told him so. Well, I'm going to read the next one here from Joe in Nashville. And Joe writes, on the recent podcast discussing scars, you and Jason said that you didn't see them escape from being tied up. In the episode, they showed Daryl first working on the ropes. Then in a later scene, he was untying Michonne and then said he was going to tie up the guard. Perhaps you saw a shortened version. They did do they did go back and forth between past and present, or so perhaps you just missed it. Uh, no, Joe, we didn't miss anything. The episode is the episode. I just don't think that um, Daryl's like finger twitching against the against the rope is enough to indicate to me that he's doing anything that's going to help him escape. I don't think yeah. it was in the episode. Okay, I'm I'm perfectly willing to admit that I may have missed something. I may have been thinking about candy at the time. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not like you closed your eyes and, and like skipped over a scene or something like that. It We saw what we, what we saw and... Um, I was pretty tired. It might have. Well, okay. I have fallen asleep watching movies. <laughs> it could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it happening, but that doesn't mean shit. Well, anyways. I was, I was asleep at the time. All right. So I will say that I didn't fall asleep. I paid attention. I watched the thing almost three times all the way through and, uh, yeah, I just don't think it was there. I don't think it was there. I, Daryl's hand moving like that was not enough to indicate to me that he was doing anything to escape. It's not like we saw a secret knife. It's not like he had a shard of glass that he was cutting the rope with, like you see in movies all the time. Right. Uh, so I just don't think it was there. Um, I remember his finger waving. I was thinking he was casting a spell. So maybe that was it. Well, yeah, maybe he was casting a rope cutting spell. I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, the, you know, large semantic motions for a rope cutting spell is kind of redundant and not necessary. So, you, you know, if somebody was designing a spell for cutting ropes when you're tied up, they'd probably just do it with like a small finger motion semantic uh, component, whereas, mm -hmm. and, and no reagents because, you know, you don't have time to reach into your pocket for an eye of newt and a, you know, wing of frog. <laughs> frogs don't have wings not but. many no frog i've ever seen no <laughs> yeah if they did they wouldn't bump their asses on the ground when they hopped <laughs> good point <laughs> anyway that's what i thought so yeah. maybe i didn't miss it i just misinterpreted it and was thinking about magic yeah maybe you were and then and then obviously we did see the scene later that joe mentions where he's untying michonne and so on but the problem is that's like after they've escaped right that's like that's not yeah. them escaping that's he's already out uh of his ropes and has knocked up knocked at the guard or whatever like how did uh -huh. that happen that's what i want to know yeah well i don't know maybe it was a spell okay <laughs> all right next we have uh an email from ashton in h-town which apparently is houston texas apparently uh, apparently ashton writes uh after daryl escapes the fleeing jocelyn says to the kids there might be more of them silly this extra line made me wonder if Daryl and Michonne were rescued by a sniper or something. Before this extra line was delivered by Jocelyn, I was satisfied knowing that Daryl escaped on his own. 
I am accustomed to cutaway storytelling where I fill in the gaps of what happened. Maybe the episode was shot in two ways, one with a rescue sniper and one with a a solo escape. Maybe they forgot to delete Jocelyn's line. Sometimes I think the show uses minimalistic storytelling effectively, then some rookie writer gets a rookie line left in. (laughs) So, yeah, it's probably not a rookie writer just getting his line in there, but yeah, it is sort of dumb. Like, what does she mean? Maybe, you know, there might be more of them. Maybe she's just figuring that, that, uh, yeah, there could be, they could have help that they don't realize is there yet. Could be. And, and that, that actually kind of makes sense to me. And it would have explained maybe how Daryl and Michonne escaped so easily, except we know that there's no one else with them. So it doesn't really help answering any questions. Yeah. Well, maybe they, maybe it wasn't, they shot two episodes together and they got confused. Maybe I think, um, yeah, I I don't know. It's it. I feel like it's just like they they needed time. They needed to save time, so they had to cut something. And it was the one scene where we saw that Daryl had a knife hidden up his sleeve. I don't know. Yeah, can you buy scripts? It's just like, can you get a script of this episode so that we can read it later and see if there's anything that got missed, like a, an actual shooting script? You know, I don't know if you can buy actual shooting scripts, but I have been in stores. Where was I? I forget where I was, but I was in a store, like a pop culture store, and they had a whole section of movie scripts. What I don't know is if these are just things that are printed out based on the finished film or if they're actually- People go in and type type down what they hear. Yeah, if if they're transcriptions of movies or if they're actual production scripts used in the- in the, uh, or reproduce reproductions of them. I don't yeah. know. Here's the file, print out 50 of these, sell them for 14 bucks each. Right. Make some money. Right. Exactly. That sounds like a great business, but, and I did see some walking dead ones there. So you can get walking dead scripts. I just don't know if you're, I just don't know exactly what you're getting. That really seems like the kind of thing you'd be able to get online. Well, yeah. I'm going to look it up later. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Only there was a way to find out. Only if there was some kind of, network of computers that we could use to shop for stuff. I know. This is a great idea, Jason. (laughs) I think so. All right. Charlie in Raleigh, North Carolina writes, you asked Jason if Jocelyn knew that Michonne was at Alexandria. You're right. I had forgotten until your comment. In the first flashback scene with Michonne and Daryl, the camera changes to a shot looking through leaves and branches to insinuate someone was spying on them from across the river. I know the scene Charlie is talking about, and I do remember thinking to myself, oh, that's a nicely framed shot with some leaves around each side and you see Michonne in the distance across the river. I liked it. It never occurred to me that this was the perspective of someone spying on them, but maybe it was. Maybe. The only thing about that is- I will never know or care. uh, Well, we might care, but we won't know for sure. They're all dead. What do you mean they're all dead? Well, we're not going to find out if oh. uh, if Jocelyn was, you know, spying on them for seven weeks and tracking Michonne across the goddamn country. Right, because they're all dead. Yeah. Because they're all dead. I get it. Uh, but it, but maybe it is. I mean, it does, it, it does answer that question anyways, that maybe Jocelyn was, you know, was aware of Michonne being there and it wasn't just a weird coincidence. So I like it. Yeah, true. 
All right, next we have Chris in Syracuse. Regarding Michonne's heavy-handed suggestion to Lydia to bug out to protect everyone, I think that the statement, if I would, uh, if I would, uh, if I would have to leave my, by myself to guarantee the safety of everyone, I would do that, is foreshadowing for the next, uh, for her season 10 exit. She chooses to leave on the premise that it assures safety of her loved one. She loved ones. She leaves Judith and possibly RJ too. And I'm sure Uncle Negan will do just fine with the kids. What the circumstances of this are, we'll have to see. Yeah, you know, it could be foreshadowing. If Michonne can somehow put all the risk and the danger and the peril on her and take it away somewhere to make everyone else safe, that will be one hell of a sacrifice and something she might do to keep her family safe. Okay, so she's leaving in the middle of season 10. Well, middle and beginning, we don't really know. Okay, but she will be in season 10. She's not leaving in like an episode and a half. No, as far as we know, yes, she'll be in season 10. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got some time to figure out, you know, a reason why that would make sense. Because as it stands right now, there's nothing that can come into play right now that would make sense for her to take on the risk and leave. No, I I agree with you. It doesn't seem like the the kind of thing she would do based on her relationship with Judith and RJ. Right. And, And now everyone else, too. But you're right, we have some time for something else to happen that causes her to, to go this route. Yeah, well, the unkillable hill giant's going to come back, and the only thing I can think of is that Michonne puts him in a sack, throws him over her shoulder, and just says, I have to take him somewhere to lead Alpha and everybody away. Uh, I'm going to take him to Seattle? She's going to so, she's gonna Pied Piper the, the uh, Whisperers away? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. She's going to Pied Piper them somewhere. I don't think... You know, taking Alpha would probably wouldn't work because everybody'd be like, "Wow, well, Alpha's gone. So what do we do now? I don't know. <laughs> we still but if it. they take somebody that Alpha cares about, like Beta mm-hmm. or the Unkillable Hill Giant, then uh, Alpha would follow. I think you might be onto something there. So, uh, but that's the only thing I can think of. But, you know, Michonne hasn't run into these people yet. Uh, no, not directly. But I think this is a interesting little bit of foreshadowing. And we know she's leaving, so... It's funny that Michonne is suddenly talking about the the only thing that would make her leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, Chris in Newcastle, UK writes, is it a coincidence that the best new characters this season are voiceless? I'm, of course, talking about Connie and Dog. They are far and away more engaging than everyone else this season from Henry and the other kids to the rest of Connie's gang. Lydia's pretty good, as are Alpha and Beta, but not a patch on our silent duo. Yeah, I would agree with that. Some of my favorite people on the planet don't talk. Some of my p- favorite people on the planet are dogs. That's good. You know, you have a good, you have a good dog friend. I have a couple of good dog friends. Yeah, I don't have my own dog, but I have a couple of good dog friends. You should get your own dog friend. Oh, everybody in my family wants a dog so bad, except but me. Except me. Just well. You're outnumbered, my friend. I know. By get a dog, read a one, name it Rufus. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. But no, I just I like having other dogs that come to visit once in a while, and then go home and poop on their own owner's floor. You know. Yeah, I mean, you can train a dog not to poop on your floor, but I'm not interested in that. Like, if I got a dog, I would want the dog to come finished, like a fully ready to go production level dog that's not gonna spend. Like, drive me crazy training it the whole time. Well, you went through that with your kids. It was okay. I mean, it took some doing, but you got through it. Yeah. 
and I'm Nobody's not interested on your floor anymore, right? That's only me once in a while. So <laughs> only you, know, you. Yeah, that's fine. Kids are different, and uh, I just, I just am not interested in doing that with a dog. But right. anyways, this is a whole different conversation. You can and- name the dog Ron Perlman. Think of how much fun it would be to have a dog named Ron Perlman. <laughs> that's a pretty good point. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, if you can come up with some other good dog names for me, maybe it'll I, I help me. I got the best dog names. Maybe it'll help me come around. All right. Uh, Bert and Ernie, all one word. Yeah. That's what you should have <laughs> named your son. I saw, I, I proposed it, but I got vetoed. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Stanley for a girl. If it was a girl, I would have gone, I would have tried for Stanley. 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 I think that's a good, for a girl's name, Stanley. Okay. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, email. So we have an email from Lovey on the internet. Hello, guys. Just listening to your review of Sunday's episode, it was pretty thorough as usual. I do, however, have a critique of not just your review, but the overall discussion going on right now in regards to this episode. Everyone seems to think, uh, seems to be stuck on discussing the horror of these incredibly dangerous and feral children being killed, kills which we thankfully did not see. These were murders that happened only in our mind's eye due to some really great directing, again, thankfully. But the truly disturbing visuals of the episode are almost completely shrugged off. Uh, we watched a woman searching for her uh, for the love of her life, betrayed by a dear friend, and then have her child kidnapped. As if that wasn't upsetting enough, we then watched as she was knocked out, strung up, savagely burned, stabbed in her pregnant belly, and beaten, all while scared, grieving, and pregnant. Why is this brutality directed towards this woman not being discussed as the most horrific and disturbing thing this show has ever shown us? When the, when the saviors kidnapped Carol and Maggie and one of the kidnappers stabbed Maggie's barely there pregnant stomach, only cutting her shirt and not reaching the skin, everyone gasped. A gasp for, Mag, a gasp for Maggie, a collective shrug for what we're witnessing a very pregnant woman endure. Why isn't everyone very disturbed by this brutality that we watched? Everyone needs to stop saying Michonne is strong, skilled, yada, yada. She's a woman. She's a mother. She's a lover. Uh, The show treats her like some warrior, almost forgetting she's a woman, just like Maggie, just like Carol, just like Rosita. If this had been Maggie's storyline when she was big and pregnant, I think the conversation would be different. I love this show. I love the episode, but I'm really bothered by the lack of compassion towards this woman. She is a woman. And, and no other woman on the show has been beaten like her, the governor, Jadis, and now this. Where the hell is everyone's outrage? Yeah, so that is an intense email. Thank you, Lovey, on the internet for that. And I think it does raise a pretty interesting and valid point that I don't know if I'm going to be able to do justice talking about. But Michonne has always been presented as incredibly strong and kind of ruthless and capable. The, the and capable and the warrior type. And there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously that's, that's, those are great qualities and traits to have, but the softer side of her in is something. And the more, the, the sort of the more emotional and loving side of her, we've been getting in, in ways, I think in her relationship with Rick and recently in her relationship with the kids, um, but it does seem like it got glossed over a little bit what yep. she went through in this episode, because we all expect her to be such an ass kicking badass. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I think that's just what the show has focused on for a while. And even in the comics, Michonne is like that a little bit. I mean, she comes in, kicks ass. She, you know, wields a katana. No one else does. That's a pretty incredible weapon. And so that's what you focus on. Um, but Lovey's absolutely right. Like she went through the ringer in this episode. And yeah. all we can talk about is how she murdered all these children. Rather than she had to murder these children, she had to, but that's all we talk about rather than what was done to her and what was yeah. done to her is in no way. I don't think any less brutal than what she did to these kids. Yeah. Lovey's absolutely right that, uh, we did gloss over this, Not well, I guess not just you and I, but the internet at, at, at large. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. What, you know, when laid out like this, it's very obvious that she went through absolute hell mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. No, I'll be honest. It barely even occurred to me until, until I read this email here. And, and so I'm really grateful for, for having this message come in because it's opened my eyes a little bit and has made me, I think, try to want to consider all of the angles a little bit better when I'm um, critiquing or even just watching a show, right? Yeah. And it, is, it, is it my fault? Um, probably a little bit, but I also think the show, in a way, has brought us to this point. Um, and, you know, despite the show presenting all this to us, I don't know if their intention was to make us feel like, you know, look what Michonne has undergone here. Uh, or if they were simply trying to go for the, oh my God, she had to murder all these kids angle, which is what we yep. all picked up on. I don't know. Um, I would like to believe that, you know, the writers and the director and everybody who created this episode of the show kind of had all these things in mind and we're just the ones that are dumb and don't, don't get it, but it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, can we at least you know, have a, a semi defense in thinking that this, that was all done in a flashback and that we knew that she was coming out of it. Okay. Um, is that, is that a valid thought? I don't know that I had considered that until just this very second, but is that any, in any way of a, a valid thought? I don't, I don't know. See, I'm, I'm not sure that, um, I, I'm not sure that the point is to know that she comes out of it. Okay. But that would that mean that we're not as concerned for her well-being? Oh, I, I see what you mean. Because we know that she lives, for example, and we yeah. know that Judith lives and so on, that that it's, it's easy. We knew that she was an immortal peril. Whether it was conscious or not, or subconscious, we knew that she wasn't going to die in this situation. Right, which makes it a little bit easier for us to shrug it off. Yeah. Is it, what, I, I don't know if that's valid or not, though, because that hadn't occurred to me. No, I, my gut is that, no, I don't think that is valid. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I agree with you. And, and, you know, just, just because we know that she lives, you know, you are the sum of your experiences in a lot of ways. And, uh, these are some incredibly traumatic experiences that, yep. that, you know, we in the internet and a lot of viewers didn't really pick up on. I don't think so. Yeah, it's a tough one, but this is this is an eye and mind opening email for me. Mm. So I really, really appreciate it. And this is the kind of thing that makes, you know, all the dialogue we have with with listeners and with everybody else that 
you know, I interact with about this show, just the best thing ever. I absolutely agree with you. And so, thank you, Lovey, for that. That was great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, all right. We've got three calls now before we wrap this thing up. The first one call um, comes from Thorn Rain in Northeast Ohio. And just I'll say these three calls aren't necessarily related directly to this episode, maybe a little bit, but also the last couple as well. But I wanted to throw them in. So here's the first one from Thorn Rain. Hey, Chris and Jason. I just wanted to talk about the highwaymen for one quick second. Everybody's thinking that it's so difficult to believe that they would take the movie option. Um, but if you go back and you watch the scene, Carol is carefully looking at everyone and she notices kind of a theme. Uh, they're all in civil war clothing. They all have like muskets. Um, I think she recognized that these were actually civil war recreationists. Um, these guys, they could have killed Jerry and his group, but they didn't. So maybe they're not actually as violent or, or crazy as anybody might think that they could be. They're literally just actors trying to survive still. Um, and they've just been doing it by kind of policing portions of, of roadways scraping by. Um, but, uh, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on the highwaymen. Uh, maybe we'll see it in some of the upcoming episodes that they are actually, you know, actors. And that's kind of why the movie sparked their interest so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thorn Rain. Uh, Jason, that was a bit quiet. I will boost it up in post, but could you hear that okay? I think I got the gist of it, yes. Uh, so Thorn Rain was saying that um, the highwaymen... Are, are sort of Civil War reenactors, it seemed well, like. Well, I did notice they were wearing various costumes. I just thought that they had, you know, it's kind of hard to come, uh, uh, to find clothing that fits. And mm -hmm. if you find cool clothing that fits, that's better than a stupid shirt that just fits. <laughs> yeah, so for sure. I, I, I knew that they were in costume, like no cowboy costume. And I knew that one guy was wearing some kind of uh, Civil War outfit jacket kind of thing. But, uh, you know, whether the whole group started off as you know civil war reenactors uh i'm not sure that's the case but if it is i mean thorn rain was trying to say that this is why the movie appealed to them so much because these are clearly like pop culture movie actor type people <laughs> yeah that's true i'm not a civil war recreationist in any way shape or form and a movie would have won me over totally i mean you're in the middle of rewatching all the marvel cinematic universe movies from start to finish so yeah you're a movie guy I'm definitely a movie guy, and I do have a cowboy hat and a cowboy shirt. Why, why don't you ever wear those anymore? Well, because the cowboy shirt is really, really obnoxious <laughs> and uh, is not really for uh, everyday wear. The cowboy hat, I'm not really sure why I don't wear it anymore. It just kind of fell out of favor for some reason. Sure. Now I wear a cap. Sure. Well, get the cowboy hat out one day. I think you should do no, that. No, it's... it's 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 there. I can wear it anytime I want. It's 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 literally touching my cap when I put it down. Like the spot that I have for the cap, right next to it is the cowboy hat. So I can easily grab it. But I don't know. It just feels weird now. All right. Well, I suppose maybe it'll come back in style one day. Maybe. For you. For me. Good. All right. Next we have a uh, call from Gretchen. Hi, this is Gretchen from Westchester, Pennsylvania. 
I have a quote from Robert Kirkman that I found on the fandom page wiki for The Walking Dead in reference to the Whisperers and how they're able to walk around with the dead and not get eaten. So here's what Robert Kirkman says. So the Whisperers clean the skin of the dead, zombie or otherwise. It's essentially human leather at that point. They were seen stretching it out and drying it in recent issues. The skin is processed. It makes the smell and makes them smell a little dead, which allows them to move among the dead, but the inside of it is very clean and safe. I hope that clears things up. So that's what Robert Kirkman has to say about the whispers and their masks. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Gretchen. So this is in response to you and I talking about how how do the masks help the whispers? Is it smell? Is it sight? Is it something else? Um, and I don't think it really clears anything up, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> and of course, Robert Kirkman is talking about the comics more than, than the TV show. Uh, and I, I must admit, you know, people wearing dead people's faces in a comic book kind of just as easier to swallow than it is on a TV show. Especially I'm, in black and white. Especially in black and white. I am okay with it on the show. I can completely get past it. Uh, but it is something that's easier to explain away by saying that they dry it out and it's nice and clean on the inside, but still smells on the outside. And okay, fine, whatever. I guess that's how he justifies it in his own mind. Well, I don't know. It's It's hard for me to accept that something like tanned leather can be uh, clean and dry and tanned on the inside, but still rotting flesh on the outside. Well, it's, I, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, right? Like if, if you clean it and dry it, it doesn't smell anymore inside or outside. Yeah. I mean, when if you clean and dry it, most likely you're cleaning and drying both sides. You're at least drying both sides, you know, unless you constantly pee on the one side. <laughs> right. Get dried out. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that, it helps a little bit and thank you, Gretchen, for digging that up. But, uh, you know, whispers, they're walking around in zombie masks. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gretchen, I really like your voice. All right. <laughs> I'm sure she's happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. No, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Excellent. Finally, we got one last call from Lisa. Hi guys. This is Lisa from Australia. Um, I first of all want to say that, Jason, I agree with you. I reckon Earl has got bitten. Um, it really looked like that walker bit him on the arm. And we know that these things happen and aren't always revealed um, until a little uh, an episode or two down the line. But um, but I could, we, I could be wrong, Chris. So, <laughs> um, Look, what I wanted to say was about Beta and the beginning of... Um, this last episode and that sort of it was a really interesting take on him given that he really is kind of monstrous but when that um whisperer was dying sitting at the bottom of the tree and um i thought that beta was being extraordinarily tender and and kind to him and and also i got an insight and maybe i'm really slow and didn't pick this up before but they but he referred to the walkers the real walkers as the guardians and he said to that guy something along the lines of you know um you're now going to be one of the, the guardians but you'll always be one of us and i just thought that was really kind of contrary to 
how he is with with somebody outside the group you know um it almost seems like he was human but then any other circumstance he doesn't so that's all i want to say great i love the show guys please keep it up and thank you for the sacrifices you make to bring us the podcast bye thank you lisa so beta does he have a a more human lighter side jason um i mean he is human technically well, technically, yeah. Well, he's a, he's a hill giant, so I don't know how if that's really, really human. It's more of a metahuman, sort of, sort of, sort of human. Okay, fair enough. But um, yeah, he definitely has an us or them mentality, right? So the us is uh, the people in his community, and he wants them to uh, thrive and survive. And there's a ritual for uh, for them dying, and he you know performed that ritual. Ritual yeah. is to comfort them and saying that you're going to be one of the guardians and you'll be with us forever. Right. And I, and I think it was a good character moment to give us something to grab onto with the whisperers. You know, they do have these kind of, um, customs that they, they, uh, go live with. Right. And, and, and that was important because otherwise they're just strictly, crazy monsters that you can't relate to at all but we need to be able to relate to them a little bit even as villains so i think that scene went a long way in in giving that to us yeah uh, um and then just before we finish um lisa said she thinks that that earl was bitten just like you did but i still say earl not bitten i think tammy rescued him i i think so too but we've seen this exact kind of thing happen in the past and the people that it happened to were bit, I suppose, but they didn't market it at all. They didn't say tune in to see Earl in his final moments. <laughs> well, they will next episode, right? Like this episode doesn't have anything to do with him. So true. Why market it now? So maybe we'll get the marketing in the next uh, 14 seconds. Yeah, maybe we will. It'll be coming up soon and we'll see Earl and how he'll, you know, it'll be super tragic because he's just got a new baby and him and Tammy have had a, you know, pretty good life together. So that, that we yeah, know of. And, you know, he's, he's also a blacksmith, so uh, we'll need another blacksmith to replace him. Well, crap. He's not a doctor. So, you know, that's, he, that's good. That's good. That is good. Because if he was a doctor, he'd definitely die. But look how long Sadiq has survived. Holy moly. Yeah. Well, he's not really a doctor. Well, by now he is. Friggin' Enid's a doctor <laughs> by now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're an actual doctor before the zombie apocalypse, you're fucked. Yeah, that seems to be what happens with poor doctors, Dr. Better to learn on the job. Learn on the job. That's right. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa and everybody else who wrote or called in. That was all wonderful feedback about this this episode. Um, I was very, very curious to hear what everyone thought of this one with all the, the brutality or the, you know, just the general terror of it all. So it was great. Uh, and that's going to do it. So we will be back next week when we recap the next episode of the walking dead, which is episode 15 of season nine, the second last one for the season. And I have a title, Chris, it does. And I actually wrote it down this time. It does. You know what? All right. The next two are easy to remember because the next one is called the calm before. And what do you think the last one's called? Uh, the less calm after no, the storm, the storm. Okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. So number 15 is the calm before and number 16 is the storm. Um, if you'd like, are, to are do- we gonna, didn't we have a storm in the fear of the walking dead that they just totally yada yada over? 
Uh, well, we was had a hurricane. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was all in the marketing materials at the beginning. It was. It was the whole poster was the friggin' storm. Yeah. And yeah. then anyway, they we sort of had a storm on that show. We've had a storm on this show before too. Uh, yeah, we have. That's remember right. when Aaron when, uh, Aaron showed up? That's right. Exactly. Zombies were stuck in trees. Um. Anyways, the next one is the calm before. So if you'd like to do a title read for uh, Tuesday night's podcast, please do. If you'd like to do one for the storm as well, do that as do it, and uh, I'll just try to hang on to it until the following week when we when we do that one. So, um, if you uh, want to get those into us, you can send them by email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail dot com. Also, visit our website talkingdeadpodcast dot com, where you can find every single episode of this podcast all the way back to the beginning, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, various other things like the ability to send a voicemail to us, which is always I, fun. I thought for sure you were going to say, you can find every fucking episode we've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> every damn one. <laughs> well, basically, you know, I thought for sure you were going to say that. That's basically what you can find there. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then of course, you can tweet us at Talking Dead, which uh, I rarely ever see because everyone who tweets at that thinks they're tweeting the AMC show. Or, Twitter's still a thing. You're sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Right? It's still a okay. thing. All right. It is. Are you wearing a Twitter shirt? I, I actually am right now, yes. Yeah, cool. All right. Did some work for Twitter, and I got a shirt. Nice. Um. So, at Talking Dead, yeah, uh, it's I have that handle, but, you know, it doesn't help me that much. Facebook.com slash the Talking Dead kind of does, though, because that's all us, and people have figured that out for the most part. So, go there if you want to post on our Facebook page. Um, did I say the email talking dead podcast at gmail.com? Cool. Amazing. I think another cool thing you could do would be to give us a review and a rating on iTunes. Really great way to, you know, signal boost the show a little bit, especially as we get into the final two weeks of the season here. This is the time when Apple likes to promote shows that are relevant and, uh, there's no more time when we're more relevant than right now. So, uh, that would be fantastic if you could do that. And in fact, any, you know, platform that you get your podcasts on, if they have a rating system or commenting system, then uh, leave us a nice rating. Would very much appreciate it. And it makes you a wonderful person. It does. It really does. <laughs> I know. It does. Uh, okay. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.